You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 163, covering Rivals and the Alternate. We're back, friends, with another episode of the Post-Atomic Horror. The Post-Atomic Horror Yes. Except Don't forget no the D. substitutes. Nope. Are there are there are there imitators? Are there? Uh... I know that there's other Star Trek podcasts that like watch episodes of Star Trek. Well, there's that official one that's like way behind. They're still on like the cage or something. Yeah, we're but, a way uh, better substitute than they are. I'd substitute for what? We're the we're the original. Yeah. We're the, we're the accept no substitutes version. There you go. We're the good one. Well, I don't know that I'd go that far. No, we're the good one. I'm calling it. All right. I've well, lo- I've looked for better Star Trek podcasts. I haven't. I just assume that they exist and that we suck, but mm-hmm. that, nope. that's just how I roll. Nope. We're the best one. Oh. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Right? So if if you have a Star Trek podcast and you listen to the show, sorry, Matt has conducted a highly scientific uh, survey, and we're better than you. Yep. Sorry. So, yeah. You'll just have to try harder. Yep. That's what we do. We mm-hmm. try so hard. Yep. We trying hard to cone. No, that's the other show. No, we haven't done that in a while. That's true. Matt, why don't you tell me about the episode, What's Called Rivals? All right, I will tell you the, about the episode, What is Called Rivals. The Do that, very please. specific title, Rivals. The, the, well, at least this title sort of makes sense, but we'll get to the other one soon enough. So, we open with Prince Humperdinck from The Princess Bride trying to scam an old woman out of her Brewster's millions. Otto puts the kibosh on that little swindle and then carts Humperdinck off to the brig where he encounters a snoring alien. The snoring alien dies of something and bequeaths onto Humperdinck some kind of children's toy from the 90s, leaving Humperdinck confused over whether he should bop it, pull it, or twist it. Meanwhile, Julian is kicking O'Brien's ass at Weird Future Racquetball while wearing the tightest costume in Star Trek history. Back on the promenade, Humperdinck has replicated the Goofy Balls and opened a casino across the street from Quark's, because fuck you, Quark. Soon, everything is going Humperdinck's way. His casino is thriving, he's hired Rom, and Quark's going out of business. Even more in left, finding the benches at Humperdinck's casino much more comfortable, and the loose women much looser. Up in ops, a lot of people are tripping, and Cisco is getting nervous. Back on the promenade, Quark, desperate for business, has O'Brien and Julian play competitive racquetball for the bar, and somehow this gets everyone interested. People, fro- fl- People flock from all over the galaxy to watch the spandex dandy wipe the floor with a middle-aged Irishman. The match is brought to a close when O'Brien realizes he's doing insanely well for no good reason. Cisco and Dax investigate and find out that probability on the station is way off and weird and stuff, and then they realize that it's Humperdinck's boppets that are doing it, so they blow them up. Later, that old woman swindles Humperdinck out of a 10,000 quatloos, and the hunter becomes the hunted. This is one of those, when we watch a bad episode, we go look at, at Memory Alpha and we say, okay, did the producers, are they are they ashamed of themselves? Have they do apologized they, for this? Do they feel bad about this one? And and there's apologies for this one, and it's like, Matt, I like this one, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, this like one this was one? fine. This was, a, this was a weird episode. It was. <clears throat> it was definitely sort of unconventional, sort of off uh, format, I it's, would say. It's this really weird episode where there's sort of something to do with luck kind of happening in the background but they don't really make it clear until towards the end and like all sort of the main crew are doing is sitting around in ops yeah and no, the 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 most action that happens is kira trips and hurts her ankle and she does that off camera yeah she gets Mike's a tripping. hilarious pratfall noise <laughs> whoa <laughs> It's okay. First of all, well, I mean, let's just go into your bad thing because it's hard to talk about this episode without talking about sort of what it's about. Yeah. So I don't know. Luck is such a dumb, vague thing to base an episode around. Like they try to cover it up by saying that it's probability, and that almost works because Dax explains it like Trillian at the end of the episode. But like, I don't know. The universe feels like it shouldn't work that way. Like, luck isn't a real thing. You don't just have good luck or bad luck. If like, if it's probability, I feel like more weird stuff ought to be happening on the station. See, I don't know. It's, 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 it doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense, but quantum physics doesn't make sense to people like you and me. It's, yeah. 
there's definitely a a a basis in some kind of science. I from what I've read, it's entirely represented horribly inaccurately here. Uh-huh. But something about probability and the way things spin on a subatomic level, and I, I don't know, people like English Gav who who read this stuff and understand this stuff probably could make more sense of it than I can. But th- this isn't entirely like it seems like magic. It seems uh-huh. like total magic bullshit but there's some scientific basis to this like i guess it's just because i don't get it but it seems it seems so like it shouldn't be working this way no it feels like magic it feels like at best we might be able to buy this if we find out that q was doing this the whole time yeah but it's just no like somehow the field created by these machines makes it so that you'll flip heads 10 times out of 10 yeah or something like that. Like, I don't, and, I don't, it doesn't make sense. No, but like I say, apparently that's a thing. That's, right. a, that's a weird quantum physics thing, which the, the interesting thing is they talk about neutrinos or something like that. They don't talk about the subatomic particle called a quark. Quark. It never comes up, which is very strange. I would love if that was what the problem was. <laughs> it's the quarks. The quarks are doing it. I knew it. I knew it. I've been but, watching yeah. you, quarks. The thing is... It doesn't make any damn sense, but it's one of those episodes, and actually the other ones like this too, where there's some serious flaws in the premise. The Mm. the story really just doesn't make sense if you look at it, but there's so much good character stuff going on, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, this is a really good Quark episode. It's a good Quark episode, and my good thing was it's also a good uh, Bashir and O'Brien episode. Yes. This is a, a minor spoiler, I guess, but we've talked about it before. Those two are going to be pretty great friends. They're going to be the the data and Jordy of this show. Mm. And it's nice to see this step in the evolution of the relationship. I mean, you got O'Brien's clear disgust for Bashir back in the storyteller. And I kind of wondered if they would just sort of, if the friendship would just sort of pop up from out of nowhere or evolve naturally. But episodes like this tell me that it's definitely, they're evolving it. Like, this is... This is a step in the, now they hang out together. Yeah, like this episode and the storyteller were sort of where they re- the, the writers realized that pairing these two together works really well. Yeah, the actors have this great chemistry even when they're not written as friends. And yeah. you can see why they pushed that further. Like, let's write some more stuff with these guys together. They're great. And I, I love the fact that they built a friendship out of clearly hating each other. Well, no, 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 not hating each other. Well, no, O'Brien, O'Brien hates, Bashir. hates Bashir. Bashir just is happy to be there. Bashir wants to impress, he even says as much in this episode. Yeah. Like, w- the first time when he wipes the floor with O'Brien at Racquetball, he's like, I I didn't want to, I want him to respect me, I want him to like me. Seems and, like and a nice it's, guy. It's it's almost kind of pathetic. Clearly abused by his wife. <laughs> he just needs a friend, and I want to yes. be that friend. But it's it's this great sort of, O'Brien's the, the working class older guy, and, and Bashir's sort of the young naive officer. Like, it's uh-huh. a it's a it's sort of a classic pairing and it works really really well and this is the first time you get, you really get to see some of that chemistry in action i think yeah and and i really like that i just i love we the, the first scene when um when o'brien shows up at the racquetball court and there's julian on the floor doing his stretches yeah o'brien's had this racquetball court built specially for him because he's into this he didn't yeah. expect to see Bashir there yeah and there's Bashir on the floor wearing the tightest spandex imaginable, <laughs> mm-hmm. doing Ladies. all these, doing the goofiest fucking Tai Chi warm-ups imaginable. He's like, Somebody showed me how to do this once. It it, it helps. Hoo ha ha hoo hoo. And O'Brien's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" O'Brien is looking at him exactly like he sh- like O'Brien should be looking at this dork. Yep. It's just like, oh lord, this is going to be the next hour and a half of my life. <laughs> And then, and then, like I say, he wipes the floor with him. Yep. Which is especially fantastic because yeah. O'Brien builds himself up. He's like, "Oh yeah, I've been doing this for years. This is great. You know, I built this special court just so I could I could blow off some steam and I do love, this thing that I love. I love racquetball. Yep. It's nice that they didn't invent some kind of future sport. I mean, it's future looking, but like, well, they it's they made the room they made the room have all these weird angles, which mm. I was reading apparently made it really hard to shoot. Like, they wanted to make it not just a square, like uh-huh. racquetball, but, you know, all sorts of strange walls over here and over there. And, right. And they're like, so we never knew where the ball was going to go, so we didn't know where to point the camera. <laughs> so they got a little too clever for themselves. But but it's still just racquetball. You hit the ball against the wall, and then the other guy has to hit the ball. Like, that's it. Those are yeah. the rules. 
which is nice. It's not fucking Parisi squares or, you know, something. And Dorian Tiddlywinks. No, what was the what was the one? What was I the... don't know, but O'Bri- or, uh, Bashir says it at some point. Ambujitsu. There you go. That's the one I was trying to think of. Ambujitsu. Am- I think Ambujitsu. The, uh, uh, the excuse the, me, the, Ambujitsu, the sweet science. The um the the one that Riker and Bill Senior. Oh yeah, it was goofy then too. We're working out their uh, daddy issues with. Uh-huh. So I mean, you know, it's it's one thing for them to try to invent future sports, but it's nice that some Earth things are still around yeah earth still does stuff we didn't get rid of all sports unfortunately no that's what world war three was about yeah that's when baseball got eliminated world war three resulted in the destruction of baseball yep buck bokai <laughs> and bunty See, bailey that. bunty bailey <laughs> but yeah there, there's it's a goofy ass premise and the story doesn't really make sense but there's a lot going on character wise like yeah, you no, say there's there's a good quark stuff in there as well it's just it's worth it for quark playing off of this new guy and the one thing that i read two or three different times was that they didn't like the new guy they didn't like um what the hell's his name chris something or other yeah chris sarandon is the is the there actor's name he as uh, you say he played humperdink in uh in the princess bride yeah that drove me nuts for the first 10 minutes of the episode <laughs> that's most of your notes are who is this guy he must have been in twin peaks because they always end up being in twin peaks the, I, I've noticed a lot of that in Star Trek. Well, because it's the it's the mid '90s and Twin Peaks just ended, and all those guys needed work. Yep. But um, no, no. In this case, no. All the all the commentary that I read, like, is two or three different. Like, I think the writer and one of the producers said, like, we didn't think, like, we think the episode didn't work because of him. Yeah. We didn't think he was sleazy enough. He didn't. He wasn't charming enough. I thought he was fine. Like, he wasn't amazing. He didn't blow me away. But no, but was, I think he did. He did a you know he did a passable job. I mean, I suppose the potential could have been—he could have been Quark's sort of adversary. They could have made him like a Harry Mud, like you know, recurring well, the, character. That had kind been of the thing. plan. They were going to have him be like the new Harry Mud, basically. Right. Which, and then I guess they didn't like him enough that they never had him come back. And again, he—he's fine as a one-off. I don't know that I would have liked him as a recurring guy either. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing is, he's meant to be sort of. Tra- he's got this—he's got this radar for for widows. He—he he hones in on a <laughs> widow when he sees one. Got a widow fetish. I guess. And, uh, and I'm 60 years old and my husband just died and I have millions of dollars. Well, hello there. How are you doing? Yeah. But I mean he he comes off as charming enough like the type of guest star that they got on this show and on Next Gen sometimes just didn't work for me. They seem like very TV actors. Yep. This guy seems better than that. Mhm. Like he seems better than your typical guy who's going to come menace Quark. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the thing is, most of the guys that come and menace Quark are always crime aliens. Well, that's true. From you know, seven-foot-tall guys who with can a, threaten him. Right, I with like a silent this, henchman. Yeah, I like this much better. I like a guy who's like Quark, pissing Quark off for the reason Quark pisses people off. Yep. Well, and he's an Elorian, which we find out later in Generations, like chronologically later in Generations, is what uh, Guinan is. Yeah, this guy was actually supposed to be uh, Guinan's son. I'm glad they didn't do that. I'm glad, like, that they uh, just made him a new guy. Yeah, like, Whoopi Goldberg was supposed to be on this episode. I think she bailed to make Ghost or something. Well, I mean, no, Ghost was way before this. Well, but Ghost is it, also my excuse for whenever Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg is unavailable. Fair enough. No, it She was either was... making Ghost or Bogus. No, she was probably making Sister Act at this point. Mm. Or possibly Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Or possibly Theodore Rex. <laughs> You have an encyclopedic knowledge for Whoopi Goldberg's uh, it's weird, career isn't it? missteps. <laughs> Especially since I don't actually like her. The, well, you liked her as Guinan. Uh, yeah. And the, the thing is, I would like to—I wouldn't have minded to see Guinan turn up on this uh, in this show. Like, she think, might be one of the TNG characters that would fit in on this show. Yeah. Also, no, explain I'd, where the hell she went. Yeah, because she did disappear for lo- a large swath of like season six and seven, as yeah. I recall. But um. I don't know. I kind of like that not everyone's connected. That mm-hmm. she, this dude can be part of her race, but be just some other guy. Yeah, which is nice. I guess they don't all wear the big hats. Well, I mean, I guess Malcolm McDowell didn't wear a big hat. No, either, so it so. turns out Guinan's the only one who likes big hats. Yeah, that we well, know be. three Elorians and only one wears big hats. So yeah, that's 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 some science there. You yep. uh, you scientifically eliminated the improbable. Yep, I'm good at science. <laughs> 
Well, you know, the scientific method is very similar to the... Uh... <laughs> the criminology method. Right. I learned uh, that in college. No, you learned that watching the other episode of Deep Space Nine we watched this week. Uh, I learned it again watching the Deep Space Nine episode. Oh, fair enough. Why don't you tell me your good thing? Uh, well, pretty much, uh, I like, uh, I like, uh, this Mauser guy. Is that his name, Mauser? Mauser. Wasn't that the mouse with sunglasses that threw bombs at you in Mario 2? It was. It was also little robots that tried to eat Splinter in the Ninja Turtles. Weren't they also the little remote control robots on the Death Star? Yep. Mouser droids, they were called. They tried to run into Darth Vader's foot. Right. He he did not appreciate that. No, I imagine he didn't. Nope. Now I'm just picturing him roller skating on two of them. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Roller skating to the uh, to the disco remix of the Star Wars theme. There you go. Some sort of dazzler roller disco. Yeah, that that sounds really good to me. Yeah. Star Wars. No, no, no. That's the Bill Murray um, lounge version. Oh yeah, that's There's fine. There's a disco too. version as well. But yeah, you so you like this guy? Huh? Yeah, no, I like him. I like him as a foil for Quark. I like the idea of everything he does in this episode is just done to piss Quark off. And we don't really see a reason for that. Like, you don't need a reason exactly. No. But it's not like he he pissed him off in an earlier business deal, or it's not like he ratted him out to Odo. Or, yeah. Like, there's no particular reason for it. He's just like, I'm here, and you're the guy, so I gotta yeah. beat you. Well, I guess the thing is, Quirk's basically, like, we find out later on that he's head of the, uh, what is it, the Merchant's Guild on uh, DS9 or something? No, we found that out in the pilot, actually. That's right. Anyway... So, like, I can understand him wanting, like, seeing Quark and being all like, yeah, this is what I want. I want all the connections. Yep. But well, everything he does is just to make him crazy. Right. And and again, it's it uh, to me, it kind of makes it funnier that there's no reason for it. Yeah. It's not out of particular spite or revenge or anything. It's just like, okay, you're my enemy. Yep. Yeah, I hired your like brother. That. Why? Because yeah, fuck why? you. <laughs> I did. It didn't bother me. I didn't think it was bad writing, but it didn't make any sense. No, that one's cl- that one was clearly done just specifically to stick it to Quark. And Quark, fine, take him. What do I care? He even says, "Oh well, you could offer me more money." Oh, what? I'm going to get in a bidding war over you? <laughs> what do you do exactly? Oh. Yeah. Um. Well, gee, I don't know. I talk it, like it could, this, brother. It could just be that he sees that that Quark gets away with abusing Rom and and not paying him. Yep. And he's like, ooh, I need a guy like that. I need a guy to not pay. <laughs> and then we see him not paying him. He's got a, I, I assume, one of the former Dabo girls, or maybe just some floozy he keeps around. Yep. In this outfit that's it like looks like something. It looks like she skinned a tire and then wore it. No, see, I like it. It's, uh, it's, it's barely there. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point he just goes, he, he just basically goes and motorboats her. <laughs> He just, like, shoves his face into her considerable cleavage, and it's I like... Love, I love, uh... What is it? Oh, I just need to relax for a minute. Come here. Yeah. Ah. It, he doesn't even make any, like, attempt to make it look like he's doing anything else. No. Look at my notes. It's like, wow, right for the boobs, huh? Yep. Well, at least uh, here's a man who knows what he wants. Apparently that chick was uh, one of the fantasy women that Q offered to Riker. In one of the Q episodes. Ah. Like, what do you want? Women? I can give you women. And then there's, like, two women. So she's really good at not saying anything and looking sexy in a weird dress. Yep. Standing there being sexy. Well, it's a pretty good skill to have. Yep. Um, nice work if you can get it, I guess. <laughs> My bad thing... Okay, Matt already covered the probability doesn't really make any damn sense. It like, doesn't. That's, that's a... You know, I mean, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is based around that, and that's a, a comedy making fun of mm. nonsense science fiction. I guess it's my bad thing about the universe. Yeah, because I mean, and again, I don't, I don't know enough about it to be the guy to explain it. Mm. But there's definitely some scientific basis to it. I just don't, I don't know. It's it's fucking weird. Science yeah. is weird, man. Mm. Like when you get into quantum physics, that stuff. The universe, like, what's that about? Yeah. Um, the hell's going on out there? I'm I'm gonna go with something a little more specific for my bad thing, which is the actual game that causes all the trouble. Mm-hmm. It's this purple ball that has like four blinking lights on it. Yep, and it beeps, and sometimes it lights up. Yeah, it's 
it's just as stupid and unbelievable as the future technology in uh, that episode, the game yeah. in next gen. Like it, it's just like, really, this is what everyone like jumps up and down and claps their hands when this thing lights up. This is so amazing. Why? Like I have absolutely no electronic skills whatsoever. And I could go buy some pieces at Radio Shack and build this thing yeah. for you. It's, it is not. You push a button and it might light up. Right. It might. And it might not. Yeah. And if it might not, then you're going to have a bad day. It's about as sophisticated as a Tiger LCD game, mm -hmm. which uh, see that's what God. I was talking about. It looks like every '90s toy that would that I would see advertised on Saturday morning, mm -hmm. like just a weird looking ball or like a stick with a thing <clears throat> on it that you would pull or push and it would click or make a noise. A cup and ball. Yeah, I'm really into this cup and ball. Or the stick and hoop game. Yep, that was big in my day. Yep, but the it's hot pinks because it's the '90s. Well, of course. Um, but it, it it really did take me out of the episode. Like, it literally made me, you know, like, it, it tripped my suspension of disbelief. Like, yeah. really, everyone's excited about this thing lighting up. It's like, you guys know you live in Star Trek, right? Yeah. There's you could go way over there. more interesting stuff out there. You could pay this guy and go in a room that can literally create anything you can think of. And you want to look at this pink ball. Yep. But everyone's excited about it. Yep. Like, starting with Mouser is, I guess, his name. Yeah, I don't, Mouser. I don't remember his name. And um, on through everyone who, t you know, even Quark tries to buy it from him at one point. Yeah, he's really fascinated by it. It's like, yep. I could maybe buy it for my nephew. Here's all the money I have. Yeah. And Here, let me drink. empty out the register in yeah. a giant, you know, uh, bag with a latinum sign on it. <laughs> Incidentally, um, a latinum sign is an L with a line through it. So like a pound? Yeah. Like a British pound? Yes. If it were owned by Scrooge McDuck, his name would be Scrooge Lickduck. Oh, that's terrible. No. Terrible. Nah. There's, uh, there's, there's, Keiko actually isn't terrible in this. Oh, that's right. There's a, there's a scene where O'Brien, he gets beaten at, uh, at, at racquetball and he comes home and he's exhausted and he's angry and she's just like, well, maybe you're old. And, like, that that was kind of like, wow, you're not oh, a very supportive spouse, are you? Fuck you. But then later yeah. when he's going to the big match. Yeah, he's like, I can't believe uh, we're watching a Star Trek it. episode about the big match. <laughs> no, there's a there's a nice little scene where he's preparing for it. And he's he, shirtless O'Brien, ladies. <laughs> and, into that. Uh, and, and she's, like, helping him get dressed. And like, gives him a lucky scarf. And, like, yep. uh, she's like, uh, win or lose, you're getting lucky tonight. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was actually like she was actually being supportive. Yeah, it was and weird. Into him, which is actually kind of nice to see. Yeah, they, I, I, literally apart from the episode where they got married, this might be the first time I've seen them kiss. Yeah, they're usually bickering at each other. Mm -hmm. It's it it's nice to see, despite our hatred for Keiko. It's nice to see that O'Brien doesn't just want to die. Yeah, there's the, we gotta we gotta see like. We got to justify why this character is continuing to be in this situation. Yeah. Like, he must enjoy it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem like the type of guy who would just stick with her for for Molly's sake. Actually, I could kind of see him sticking with her for Molly's sake. Nah, I could see him raising Molly on his own. Mm. Totally doing that. He could. He'd be an awesome single dad. Yeah, he would. Better than Worf. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know who'd be a better dad than Worf? Literally anything. A lump of dirt or a piece of string. <laughs> there's a there's a great bit where Quark's uh, protesting the fact that uh, what's-his-name opened a casino right across the way. <laughs> In the same spot as the Bajoran Temple, by the way. Yeah. Just just threw the temple out and Apparently uh, they couldn't pay their rent this week, so... Uh... I guess. Well, they can't even get blankets for orphans, and all you gotta do is say replicator, blanket. For orphans. Yes, for orphans. What makes it a, what makes it an orphan blanket? Uh, it's slightly itchier. It's got holes in it. It's got hole. It's ta it comes out tattered. Right. They've got a special pattern in there just for that. Yep. Just for orphans. But uh, Quark, if, Quark, if they'd known what was good for them, they would have asked for blankets for rich kids. <laughs> it would have come out attached to a race car bed, uh, monogrammed with their initials. Yep. O mm. for orphans. <laughs> All orphans are just named Orphan? Yeah, that's right. Hmm? All right. That's how you can tell. They have to wear... They wear a shirt with a big O on it. Right. And that's it. Well, that, that's the only that, thing orphans do. 
No, oh, all right. Oh, and no, make uh, and work in workhouses. Of course. Uh, how else do the uh, how do you think the replicators work? Exactly. You have to have like six orphans turning a crank downstairs. No, they're just like behind the panel, just like like you know hastily assembling whatever thing it is. You knitting know, orphan blankets, making the food or whatever. Yeah. That orphan but, blanket's uh, not tattered enough. To the mines with you. <laughs> oh no! Please let me heat today. <laughs> they get gruel. Yep. That's all. And not even space gruel, just nope. regular gruel. Regular gruel. More gruel. Man, orphan humor, man. <laughs> that's just like, that. that's that's one of those classic comedy things. Hey, it worked for Dickens, it'll work for us. Well, that's true. Nobody thought orphans were funnier than Dickens. Well, he, he did make a living off of that. Yep. And, uh, did he get knighted for that? Was he a sir? I don't remember. I don't know, but I know he popularized orphans and the name Fizzywig. <laughs> oh, lots of names like that, not just Fizzywig. No, but Fizzywig is my favorite. Well, all right. There was Mr. Fizzywig, Lord uh -huh. Crumplebottom, right? Lady Helginson. No, they always they always had names that like and indicated of, what they were. And like, of course, Count Dooku. Right. <laughs> that classic Dickensian character, <laughs> Count Dooku. <laughs> so we got Quark begging Cisco not to allow uh, what's his name to open the casino. And he's like, uh, I, I, uh, I have exclusive rights here. You begged me to stay, remember? He's like, I didn't beg you. I blackmailed you. <laughs> I Which love I was Cisco. Yeah, that was such a, a great line. delivery. Yep. Also, I like, I like the directing on that scene. Like, there's this great shot where they get into the turbo lift. Doors close. We can hear Quark muffled shouting. Yep. And then they, like, they open the floor later. No cuts. No, the, the camera pans down. It's it's basically to show off the fact that they have a working elevator door. Yeah, but I like I like it. I think it I think it's a good uh I think it's well directed. No, and it's it's one of those things that makes the promenade feel more like a big place. Yeah. When you see someone get on the elevator on the top floor, mm -hmm. follow them down and get out on the bottom floor, you realize, oh, it's a it's a dual layered thing. It's yeah. A, We're know, not it's just walking big. up and down the same hallway. Right. Which is nice. They the actual set probably isn't as big as it looks, yeah. but they do some good things to make you think that it is, which which I like. Mm -hmm. Speaking of orphans, <laughs> go there's on. A, there's a well. There's a there's a whole bit where Quark's trying to uh, trick uh, Bashir and O'Brien into into uh, playing the um, playing the racquetball game for for charity. Well, for charity slash Quark's profit. Yes. And he's like, uh, but, but what about the orphans? And and O'Brien just goes, orphans? <laughs> and the way he says it, it's like, fuck the orphans. And he, there's this great reaction shot where he sort of looks behind him and sees this gaggle of uh, Bajoran monks. Yep. And just, I mean, uh, yes, God, we've got to help the poor little orphans. Orphans? I mean, orphans. <laughs> well, course. I mean, who on DS9 is more Dickensian than Chief O'Brien, so... Uh, that's a fair I can point. see his hatred of orphans. <laughs> well. Then perhaps they should go back to their planet and work and decrease the surplus population. <laughs> or, how about this modest proposal? We could eat them! <laughs> how about that? <sighs> that's right, I said the title of the thing I was referencing just in case you missed the reference. Yeah, come on. Anyway, overall, I, I didn't really get, like, why... The, uh, the 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 people behind the scenes weren't crazy about this episode. Like again, no, it's a I don't fine think episode. it was amazing. It's not perfect. No, but it, I wasn't bored. No. And with so much Star Trek, with Next Gen, and I know again with Voyager later, and with this show, bad episodes usually equal boring episodes. Yep. And this was the, not boring. This was a no, fun episode. They kept it moving. They they kept me interested. They had some good character stuff. Yep. And uh, there's some really memorable stuff here. Yeah. Uh, don't you see what the problem is. I do, and I mean, you know. There's some decent quotes in this, but I eventually just went back to the old Quark and Odo. That's always a, a good standby. But don't worry, Martis. I've come to get you out. In return for what? Nothing. Pure generosity. <laughs> Plus, I always enjoy a good ha! <laughs> and Odo delivers it so well. Yeah, he does. <laughs> you know, he's already got the perfect voice for that. Yep. That That's a softball, but, you know, he still, he still nails it. Mm. I also like the line, my benevolence is known far and wide. 
And they have a whole conversation about Quark's benevolence. I like the idea that on distant planets who have never actually seen DS9, there's whispers about how Quark's benevolence is known there. Have you heard and about they, Quark? He's so benevolent. They don't benevolent. even know who Quark is or what no. a Ferengi is. But, uh, or, benev yeah. or what benevolence is. Yep. But they whisper about it. <laughs> Deep in the Gamma Quadrant, they're yep. talking about Quark's benevolence. And being jerks to each other. Well, yes. Everyone there is a jerk. Mm -hmm. Prove me wrong, children. <laughs> you got anything else on this one? Ah. Uh, no, I think that's it. I got motorboating the floozy. That was the point I intended to hit. That's so, a good one. Uh, yep. Plus, I just like that turn of phrase, motorboating the floozy. Motorboating the floozy. Yep. Is that like Excuse a rusty me, I gotta venture? Go, I got to go motorboat the floozy. <laughs> that would have been a much better title for the episode. Motorboating the floozy. Yes, than rivals. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you got, you got, there were rivals in this episode. Yes, but, As you opposed know, to the next one called The Alternate. and Which features no alternate whatsoever. No, and tell hardly any the. Tell us about that. I will. I will tell you about it thusly. TM. <laughs> so Odo is in the middle of threatening Quark with a fraud investigation. Just kiss already, you two. Jeez. When a mysterious stranger interrupts. It's Dr. Mora, the Bajoran scientist who was assigned to Odo when he was first discovered. Effectively Odo's dad. Great. Another long-lost relative. Except, we established his existence a bunch of times, and he's been right there on Bajor all along. And it's very in character for Odo not to want to hang out with him regularly, so this all actually checks out. Sorry, I'm still a bit gun-shy about this sort of thing after Season 7 of Next Gen. So, Mora wants to take a runabout to the Gamma Quadrant, since a Bajoran probe discovered some goo on a planet that might be similar to Odo's goo. So a contingent consisting of Dax, Odo, Mora, and some other Bajoran scientist heads off to the planet and finds some mysterious ruins... And naturally, they just start beaming up pieces of the ruins willy-nilly because, hey, who cares? It's not our quadrant, and these jerks are obviously long dead anyway. This sets off some standard anti-grave-robbing booby traps, so before everyone drops dead from poison gas, they beam away. Oh, and they manage to take some of that goo with them before they go. Back on the station, everyone eventually recovers and are shocked to discover that the goo sample has apparently escaped into the air vents. Seriously, why does anyone even build air vents at this point? We've all seen Alien, so you know what happens next, except... In a shocking twist, it turns out Odo's been the one crawling around in the vents, creeping people out and breaking stuff. Apparently that poison gas turned him into some kind of monster who lashes out at people and things because of his daddy issues with Mora. Yeah, it didn't exactly make sense to me either, and in fact Julian says as much at the end when he literally goes, Well, I'm not going to explain what happened. I mean, I know I said I like it when episodes end with a bit of ambiguity, but that's not exactly what I meant. No. We're not even going to make up a reason why you turned into a monster. No, he, he says it exactly the, the way I said yep. Oh, I'm not going to explain what happened. I don't know what happened, because you're weird. <laughs> Why are you so weird, Odo? Why can't you be normal like the rest of us? Then I could explain shit about you all damn day. <laughs> well, I'm certainly stumped. I can't <laughs> solve this mystery. Can you? Stop pointing at me, Doctor. <laughs> this is, uh, like the other one, there's so much that this episode is built on that makes no sense or just the, the choices people make are very strange or the, you know, premises are just sort of abandoned. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a really flimsy story here, but it, it it makes way for some great character stuff, so I don't really care. Yeah. Like, I like the, I like their little tomb raiding ep expedition, but then it turns into, like, the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, they seriously just steal this thing from some ruins on the other side of the galaxy. Like, that... That, there seems like there should be rules against that. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's nobody here currently. That uh, we know of. You guys want to own this? I kind of want to own this. Let's fucking take this. Even though they're on an expedition to find a kind of life that is difficult to detect and they're not sure if it's even there or not. Yep. Like, there could be shapeshifters there. The tricorder can't really pick them up. Mm -hmm. They don't know. They and the, and the goo sample they take might be a life form. They don't know. Like, Which they it, accidentally kill, by the way. Yeah. It it turns out the the thing does get into the vents and then just die uh -huh. because it can't breathe in our atmosphere. Well, that that's nice. Nice job, guys. Yeah, good good work seeking out new life and new civilizations and murdering it. Yep. Like, I mean, I guess if they were like if they were keeping it in a thing that was keeping it alive, like that's fine. But I don't know. It's it just feels like you probably maybe should have left it. Yeah. Couldn't you have set up a thing there? Like you, I mean, like you guys always do in Starfleet? Yeah, well, I mean, this isn't a Starfleet mission, it's a Bajoran mission. True, so no wonder they fucked it up. <laughs> well, they're not really experienced at going to other planets and doing stuff, I guess, mm -hmm. I don't know. 
We learned it from the Cardassians. We just come in, break everything, and then leave. That's Take how you do this, want. right? <laughs> Take what we want, kill what we don't like. Yeah. That makes total sense, works, right? Works for us. See, I mean, that that didn't make sense to me. This, the, and, and the thing they take is this pillar that has some writing on it, mm-hmm. which apparently turns up later in the context of Odo's past, which is cool. Yeah. No, I like uh, I like when they do that sort of thing. So it actually does connect to him, it turns out. Mm-hmm. Spoilers, I well, guess. Well, there is some kind really of shape-shifting something or other on the planet. Right. It's it's like the episode from the previous season where they find that thing on the necklace that, that can change. Like, mm. there's, there's things in the Gamma Quadrant that are sort of related to Odo. Mm-hmm. And we will eventually discover more about the actual, you know, the the, the society that yeah. he comes from later. But I don't know. I at first I was kind of annoyed because I thought it was going to be another one of those. Oh, good, they're going to look for Odo's past, and it's going to be a red herring. Like if I was watching this at the time, I would have been annoyed by the fact that they did that once a year. Yeah. Hey, it's Odo's past. Just kidding. Yep. But but it turns out they actually pay that off pretty. You know, they don't wait till like late season seven to pay it off. No, it's actually kind of important. It is, but not only that, but it doesn't. It doesn't take till the very end of the show. Like, yeah, it's one of those mysteries. It's not like X Files where they keep a mystery in the air forever and never tell you. Ugh. Well, shows did that in the nineties a lot. Yeah, I know. X Files is the most famous example of that, but there were plenty others. Yeah, no, trust me, I watched a lot of X Files. I'm still waiting for those answers. Waiting huh? for that truth that's supposed to be out there. It's out there. You I don't want to believe, Matt. You know that last episode was called the truth, and it didn't have the truth in it. Damn it. Like, seriously? Well, you couldn't handle it, I guess. Oh. Couldn't handle the truth. No truth handler, you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, despite all the all the weird, goofy, like, nonsense, uh, th- this poison gas turns Odo into a monster? Yep, for no reason. Like, what? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense at all, but th- Tur- despite that... It turned him into a were-Odo. <laughs> so... An Odo that turns into an Odo at full moon? Well, it, it re- technically it's a man that turns into an Odo. But he's not a man. No, I know. So I guess he's he an Odo that turns into a man. He wasn't even once a man. Nope, he was never a man. Nope. He was once, twice, three times a lady. Hmm. How many times a lady am I? <laughs> I don't know. You're at least six times a lady. Oh, whew. Okay. I couldn't say, give you an accurate uh, reading. But, no, no, no. Uh, I, I, right off the top of your head, I understand. My lady meter is going off at the chart over here. Okay, good. I mean, it's it's important to me that I at least be, you know, once a lady. But there's some reverse tachyons that might be interfering with the scan. Are they are they spinning the wrong way? That's right. Okay. They're spinning counter counterclockwise. Counter counterclockwise. Yes. Which isn't clockwise. No. It's spite clockwise. It's making all my counters spin. Oh, I see. Why don't you tell me a good thing about this episode? Maybe I will tell you a good thing about this episode. So, Odo's dad, Dr... It's Dr. Mora, right? Mora. I've got yes. Dr. Monroe written down here. I, I, I think you wrote Dr. Moreau, like the island of Dr. Yep. Moreau. Uh, he is a really fascinating character. Like, he's the most embarrassing parent ever. Right from the second he walks on, and Quark immediately identifies him as Odo's dad. Yep. He is clearly... Very proud of Odo's achievements on the station. And, like, you know, and the fact that he's making friends and, like, connections with people. Well, he's proud at the same time he's a little dismissive. He's like, so this is what you decided to do with your life, yeah. huh? But and, uh, there's this great scene where he has this speech to Odo about how science and criminal investigation are are similar. Mm-hmm. But then he does, like... He, then he does these things where he's clearly trying to get Odo to come back so he can keep working on him. Yeah. There, there's another scene right after uh, right after Dr. Mora discovers that it's Odo that's been turning into a monster and ruining shit, mm-hmm. where he, he take like, he doesn't tell Dax, he just goes straight to Odo's office and is like, They're go- you're, you're the one turning into a monster. You have to come back with me so I can fix it. They're going to put you into a zoo. <laughs> They're going to find out. They're not going to understand. I'm the only one who understands. They'll put you in a zoo. Like, like wow, that's that's the thing that, that's, wow. He, he walks this amazing line between genuinely caring about Odo and genuinely caring about how Odo can make his career better. Yep. And it, it, it's really interesting to me. Like, it's a, it's a really complex character. Well, it's, they've written, what they've done is they've written a bad parent. Yeah. He wants to care. Mm-hmm. He's genuinely interested, but he's got his own self-interest that sort of gets in the way. Yeah. Which is nice. Like, we've seen characters with daddy issues before. God knows everybody on Next Gen had daddy issues. Yep. 
but this is the first time we've really seen a sort of fully fleshed out like wow yeah this guy isn't a very good parent and at the same time he's he's clearly like he is proud of odo but he's also like so this is what you you want you wanted this little police he says he's really belittles it like this police thing you're doing yeah like you know, you, we were doing incredibly important work. You're a new species, and you came here to play policeman. He's like, I'm the head of security. He's like, you're head of security in a space station in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> like, he's he's so obviously trying to, you know, yeah. belittle what, what he's doing. What do you do? This is all you do, huh? Yep. As but at I, the same I, time... I, I, listen, I've been there, man. Yep. Oh, hey. <laughs> Mom, I do a podcast. Oh, that's nice, your little radio show. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Uh-huh. You have a real job, too, right? So when does that start paying off? Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. I can, I could. Yeah. They, they definitely wrote him similar to my parents. Uh-huh. I'll say that just straight up. There's a there's a bit where Odo's telling a story about, like, when he was first discovered and when he started shape-shifting, when he became his first cup. Mm-hmm. Which I is a milestone the, the, in Odo's life. The first thing Odo ever changed into, by the way, yep, is a cup. It's a cup. It's a beaker, but that's a, that's just a type of science cup. Soon followed by a bird, or no, <laughs> no excuse mouse. me, a mouse. Yes, bird would be way too complicated. Yes, maybe a bat because that's just like a mouse with wings. Yes, <laughs> but um, but he does try to uh, tell the story about this, and and Doctor Mora keeps interrupting him and mm. correcting him. And that's just like, oh, it's like they fucking consulted with my mom. Yep. Ah. Now, while you're simultaneously being proud of him, make him feel like shit. Yep. And, uh, and embarrass uh, him in front of his friend. Rene, I really don't know how to say his name. Abajouin. I can only say it in a funny way. Yeah, I don't know how to actually say it. But he does a fantastic job. Like, Odo doesn't get a lot of facial expression the way the makeup is. He doesn't get a lot. Like, he doesn't have eyebrows. Yeah. And he doesn't, like, all he really gets to do is scowl and smile. That's yeah. it. That's well, all I got. mean, those are two broad, like, fa- like that makes sense for his character, too, because he's not it good does. at replicating uh, faces. Right. But he has a lot of emotions in this episode, and and, and there's a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. Because that's what happens when your your dad shows up. There's yeah. shame. <laughs> in a place where you're usually the calm, collected guy that everyone respects. It's a similar vibe to when Vash showed up for Picard. Yeah. Like, I'm the guy everyone respects, and now here's a person who can show a different side of me that I don't want them to see. Mm-hmm. But uh, he does a, a, a great job of, like, hanging his head, like, a lot of a lot of body language to make up for the lack of facial expressions. Yeah. To show, like, wow, Odo's really not happy about this. <sighs> and and it, he doesn't overplay it. No. But he does, a, he does a really good job of, like, I feel really bad for him. <laughs> Which was nice. Look, it's tough when your dad comes to see where you work. Yep. Bring your dad to work day is oh, always tough. I hate bringing space. dad to work day. <laughs> yeah. What was your bad thing? Um, I was all prepared to say that I didn't like the Odo monster, but man, it actually came across as pretty good for a CGI 90s television monster. So, I don't know. I had a tough one with this one. I would like to have seen some follow-up on Quark in the case of the chunks of dead guy. Well, that was just a sort of throwaway teaser at the beginning that, that Quark was selling, you know, doing the, the Ferengi thing of selling a dead guy mm-hmm. in pieces. And it turns out that the guy's still alive. Uh, yeah, I kind of want to see more of that, though. <laughs> well, Odo promised an investigation. Uh, so and I, I want to see a... that investigation. Well, maybe there's a novel. Oh, written by Peter David. Maybe. Now, he didn't They're read not them. all written by Peter David. No, and he didn't write very many DS9 novels. Right. Which is sad for me because then I could read them. Well, but his whole deal is that he takes sort of unexplored parts of Trek and fleshes them out. Mm-hmm. Whereas DS9 had such a huge ensemble cast that there's not a lot of unexplored. See, that's why the that's why I could never get into any of the DS9 books because, like, what's really the point of them? You could have a like a, a next gen adventure, and it's like you know it feels like an episode of the show, but tying something into DS9 feels difficult to me. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's a whole series of books that take place after the series. Yeah, I've got them. I could never get into them. Uh, I've got I, the first big uh, DS9 omnibus. Mm. I, I haven't actually tried to read any of them. From what I've read in the descriptions, they don't sound very good. Nah, no. Trek books are a hit or miss anyway, Like they're, they're, and more miss than hit. Yes. That's, that's just the way it goes. That's the problem. When, when it's good, that'll, scra- that'll scratch your Trek itch nicely. Yeah, it will. But when I it's mean, bad, before it's like, we, ugh. 
before we started doing the show, there was, you know, for us, there was no Star Trek. Like, that's it. It, it was the, over The lean us. years, we called them. Yeah. And it was nice to pick up a good book every now and then, but I feel like I read everything by Peter David and the Reeve Stevenses, and mm-hmm. those are the only ones that I knew were definitely good. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. And they actually wrote a, a, a nice trilogy of, of DS9 books. Oh, yeah. Those are fantastic. That sort of bookended the, the series, uh, the Millennium, the Millennium trilogy. trilogy. Yeah. Which were nice. Um... I don't know the whole the whole um, Ferengi practice of buying a dead guy. I, like on the one hand, it shows that the Ferengi will sell anything, which I, I guess I get. Yeah, and but... I mean it makes a lot of sense. It it makes a lot of sense to to sell. Yeah. Pieces of the dead guy. I don't understand who's buying them though. I don't buy that a Ferengi would give up their very valuable latinum for something that has no intrinsic value. Like, I mean, I guess I could understand if it was, like, a famous Ferengi. Like, that's sort of what Quark's trying to do right. here. But... The guy who, like, invented uh, uh, Hollow Suites. Yeah. But, like, I don't feel like Ferengi care about that sort of thing, you know? No. Unless it's something they can sell to someone else mm-hmm. at a markup. Like, I understand that, 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 like, there's stuff, like, they're not always buying and selling stuff. Yeah, they are. They're always buying and selling stuff. But, I mean, stuff. like, eventually you're going to go watch a movie or something. Nope. Just buying Only, and selling. Yep. That's that that that's the first rule of acquisition. Always be buying and selling. <laughs> Coffee is for closers. <laughs> they could totally do Glenn Glenn. I would Glenn, love Glenn, Glenn Ross and, if, and Ferengi. If it turned out that uh, one of the rules of acquisition is uh it's some variation on Coffee is for closers. Coffee is for clo- yeah. <laughs> or fourth price is that you're fired. Yep. Uh <laughs> So let's talk about the Odo monster a little bit. You said you liked the way it looked. I thought it was fine. Like, I kind of put it in context of mm-hmm. 1994 TV. Yeah. It, the first thing it reminded me of is Chemo from uh, from DC Comics. I, I don't know that Big character. sort of, like, big sort of bulky-looking monster. Mm. Kind of kind of clay-looking-ish. Well, there was, there was a nice attempt to just make it sort of not a distinct shape. Like yeah. It was, it was constantly sort of this blobby moving thing. Uh-huh. And when it wanted to bitch slap something, it created a tentacle. But otherwise, it was, you know, it was just this blobby moving thing. That's called the Bashir Smacker. Right. Smacks Bashir right in the face. He made it special just for him. Mm-hmm. And maybe for O'Brien later. Right. Like to but borrow your, Ob- your Bashir Smacker. <laughs> Never you mind why. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> Take a guess. That don't concern you. But there's, um, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's how you would expect a shapeshifter going out of control to be. Mm-hmm. Sort of this rampaging, formless thing. Yeah. But it's it did sort of look very early 90s CG to me also. Like, yeah. I, I wasn't as impressed with it as you were. I, you know. I think you were just expecting something hideous. Yep. Well, and I always probably am. pleasantly surprised. I'm always yeah. I'm always pleased to see a decent monster. Well, the thing is, these shows sometimes got a little ambitious, and on the budgets that they had, you know, couldn't always pull things off. Yes. But uh, this show's done very well with alien design, as we've pointed out repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And you know, they've done okay with Odo morphing. Like, considering morphing was a fairly new effect for movies, yeah, that they were doing it on TV was was a really big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't so bad, but it, I, I, you know, I didn't love it. I don't know. My, my bad thing was that whole last act where they're chasing the, the monster or they're, they're waiting for the monster. And there's this long five or ten minutes yeah. where they're setting up and watching for him. And it's supposed to be tense, but it's just kind of like we already know what's going to happen. Yeah. Let's get to the point here, guys. Like, I've already seen that movie. And you're not going to chase it out of the airlocks and then get inside a forklift suit and say, get away from her, you bitch. And like that, that part's not going to happen. I would love to see Cisco in a, uh, in a load lifter suit. <laughs> see, O'Brien would be the one. That's true. Get away from her, you bitch. Plus, he's got that the Sigourney curly hair. In going. this case, the her is Bashir. Right. <laughs> also, I've mentioned before how the titles of these episodes are largely forgettable, but this one in particular... Mm-hmm. The alternate. Yep. The alternate. The alternate to what exactly? Yeah. Like, okay, we're going to an alternate universe, nope. or someone's gonna have a brother that is an alternate something. No. Nope. Nope. Just Odo's father. Incidentally, the guy who played Doctor Mora is the guy who played the Romulan in the Defector. The it, if you don't remember, the Defector is 
uh, one of the best uh, Romulan episodes from uh, yeah one of our TNG. one of our our top next gen episodes for sure. Uh-huh. And uh, fantastic character, great actor. Yeah, he he, he does a great job here. Very distinctive voice. Yeah. He, no, uh, as soon as didn't... you mention it, I was like, oh, of course that's him. Yeah. No, I, I recognize the voice. I'm, I'm better with voices than I am with faces. Right. And uh, and and the voice. He did Lexus commercials. Ah. And well, he's, he's just got the very distinctive voice. He would certainly be able to talk me into buying a Lexus. Would he? Uh, no. You know a Lexus is a car, right? I know. Okay, I wasn't sure if you knew that. I mean, as hard as it is to talk me into buying any car... Because well, I don't like right. cars and I can't drive. <laughs> those are two good reasons not to buy a car. <laughs> That's really, those are probably the best reasons not to buy a car. I bet Cobra Commander could talk you into a car. Oh, I'm sure he could. That Maybe, guy was the best used car salesman. Tell me he was once a man. Yep. Call me a fool. I don't know why, don't know why that keeps coming up. Kick a dog. <laughs> he didn't kick a dog. He kicked a dog. No. There's a picture Destro of him kicking a dog. Is that Destro? Destro did that and he blamed it on, uh, he blamed it on Cobra. <laughs> My no, dear Cobra no Commander kicked this dog. <laughs> I think I like it when Destro says dog. 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 You made you made him sound a bit uh, Caribbean there, a little bit, little bit Barbados slim there. <laughs> I'm going back. To, I'm going back to Barbados. Now goodbye forever. Goodbye forever. Still mad he came back after that. <laughs> um. So my good thing. I okay. While the Odo reveal, it it did feel in some ways a bit cheap. Like, oh, it's Odo that's been doing it the whole time. Mm-hmm. They did do a really good job of of not telegraphing it. Mm-hmm. Like, it was sort of a twist. Yeah. It it actually, they I was sure it was Dax. I was, too. I was, she started acting really weird. They did a, a couple of, like, red herrings where uh, at one point they come in and the, the pillar that they stole is across the room. And, like, why'd you move that? She's like, I don't know. I wanted it over there. It was in the way. And that was it. Yeah. And I was like. That's a weird detail for them to include. That's that must mean something. Maybe she's maybe it, she's the monster. And that's a nice thing about this show is they're sort of aware of the fact that every line of dialogue is always meant to set something up in yeah. this kind of episode. And they deliberately played on that so that it had nothing to do with anything. Mm. It's nice that for a change we have a mystery that the answer isn't clearly apparent from, you know, from Act One. Yeah. Like and I, so, yeah, I, I, I like my good thing they're... is... That they actually put a little thought into. Yeah, it. kept us guessing. Yep. It's you know, Which it's a nice. it's a pretty well written episode. It is. Like I say, I have some fundamental problems with the way they got a hold of the the the, the pillar and the way they just sort yeah. of go do what they want to this planet and then leave again. It was like even they realized that that stuff doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's just it looks sloppy when you when the the writers don't take any time to think about that sort of thing. But then, like, the the gas turning Odo into a bad guy didn't make a lot of sense. No. And, and the fact that they hung a lantern on it and had Bashir say, well, I, I don't know. You, it, you'd think it was weird that the, the, the gas made you a monster. Well, on we go. You'd think that. I've got a racquetball tournament with Chief O'Brien. <laughs> I've got to get into this tight outfit somehow. It takes about 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah! Oh, God. Also, that... Odo, have you seen nothing... my cod piece? Yeah, while it left nothing to the imagination, he's apparently smooth like a Ken doll yep. down there. <laughs> Very strange. Um, but yeah, like I said, there was, I had some fundamental problems with the story, but because of the character stuff, particularly the uh, the the Odo and Doctor Morris stuff, it mm. didn't really matter. Like I, I, that's the thing about this show is when when they really get going with the character stuff, you, you know, don't care that the you know the plot doesn't quite work. I mean, I I prefer when all the elements are. You well, know. yeah, but I mean, I'll still take this over. You know, if wishes were horses. Yeah, or Alamorane. Alamorane, one, two, three. Yep. Right. Or I don't know. I don't remember the titles because they're called things like the alternate. Yeah. We really need to bring back the alternate title uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, we should. Um, there's a there's a nice another nice. Uh, Cisco and Jake scene. Oh yeah, that was great. Where I Jake's forgot about to do that his one. Homework studying Klingon opera. Yeah, and he's like, "When am I ever going to use Klingon opera?" And Avery Brooks sells this perfect comedy moment. Yeah. Where he's like, "Well, never." <laughs> and it's such a small thing, but he he does it like his face is perfect, and it's just this nice classic. Like they're almost in a sitcom for a second. Yep. 
and and I like I just I I've said it a million times, but I love the chemistry between those two. Mm. I buy that that father and son relationship almost more than you know any other that we've seen in Star Trek. Yeah, so, Dad, when am I? When was the last time you listened to Klingon opera? Well, when I took this class. <laughs> yeah. So just because you suffered, I have to. Yeah. Yep, you're a kid. That's what happens. Then when you have a kid, you'll pass the buck on, and I'll laugh yep. and laugh and go senile. <laughs> It's the great circle um, of life. What else? What else indeed? Let's see here. There's another commander you better get up here and see this moment. Yeah. That's, you know. I'm not writing a uh, a nitpicker's guide, so I don't have to point that out. I was waiting for uh, uh, Mer- uh, Moro to whip out some pictures of Oda as a baby. <laughs> just like indistinct blob. Yep. Oh, did, you, did you forget to focus this? No, that's just what he looks no, like. No, that's him. It's a really good picture, right? I kind of want, like, a shitty, fa- like, 80s family portrait of him and Odo. <laughs> and he's wearing, like, a sweater. Right. And Odo's, like, a ball of goo wearing a sweater. <laughs> There's a point where they have the, the goo sample from the, from the planet. And they're looking at it, and they're like, well, it's similar to you. And Mora actually says, it could be Odo Jr. <laughs> wow, really? The kids could call you Oju. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, I just, I, I love, I, you get to see more of Odo's embarrassment from that, too. Just, yep. Uh, but it's nice, it's it's that, again, it's the Picard thing. It's seeing yeah. a character that's usually so incredibly dignified being embarrassed. They, it's funny. They call it Odo Jr. Nobody call it that. <laughs> Nobody. Quark, I see you in the corner. Nobody's calling it that. Uh, Quark's starting to print up, like, uh, name tags. See Odo Jr. Oh. <laughs> Uh, they they mention at one point that it takes Odo 16 hours to rejuvenate. I thought he had to do it every 16 hours. I thought so too, but he specifically says, I, it takes me 16 hours to rejuvenate. That seems like a really long, like, having to sleep 16 hours a day? Yeah. That seems, That's you know, a, like, especially for someone who clearly works as much as he does. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, Bajor has a 26-hour day, but still. Yeah. That's still a lot of time. And then, okay, then there's that great scene where we already talked about the scene mm-hmm. where he's like, they'll put you in a zoo. The 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 panic from Odo. The, oh, yeah. The reaction, the, oh, what? No. And he's starting to melt. Yeah, he's like, well, I mean, he's clearly, first of all, he's clearly sick. Yeah. And, and there, there's just a great, like, escalating, like, uh, emotional content to mm-hmm. the scene. And it's just like. He's starting to believe Mora. Yeah, which like, is. A, a, a zoo? What? No. No, they can't. No. And I mean, of course, like, no one on the station would ever. Right. And he knows that. Yeah. But But he's just like, he's so out of it, and his dad's yelling at him, and his face is falling off. You know, your parents have this power over you that nobody else does. They can say something to you that you wouldn't buy from anyone else. Yeah. But you actually believe it from them. Because it's your dad. Of course your dad knows if you're going to end up in a zoo. (laughs) That's just like a biological thing. Your dad just inherently knows that. Yep. Um, Fatherhood is weird. Yep. I actually had a note that said uh, Mora has an almost Cardassian-like way of trying to convince Oda to come with him. Yep. It's very manipulative. Yeah. And it, it struck me as very, like, this is what Gul Dukat would say when he's trying to convince someone to do Gul something. what Gul Dukat is as a dad. Right. Oh. <laughs> yep. Not, not good. Nope. Not a guy you want uh, breeding, either. No. <laughs> Anyway, that's all I had. What about you? I think that's everything. I don't have a whole lot of notes here because I was mostly just watching this one. Yeah, that's a that's a problem that we have with this show. But I think I think we're getting better at uh, at noticing mm. things at least. Like it's just it's a really good episode. Couple of flaws, but for the most part, like I said, all my flaws were with the plot. Yeah, like, character wise, is fucking spot on. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, overall, we've said this over and over again. That's what we care about more than anything is is the characters. Yeah. And uh, these were both good character episodes. Yeah. So that's good. I don't know what your problem was, guys who worked on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, well, and and there was an episode recently that I hated that you thought was great. Like, why don't you apologize for that one? Yeah. Where's my apology? Yeah. I'll just be waiting for that. Yeah. Making me sit through that twice. Dear Post-Atomic Horror Podcast, we would like to apologize on behalf of... <laughs> on behalf of If Wishes Were Horses. Those who wrote the episode have been sacked. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, because the show closed down 15 years ago. Yes, but still, I appreciate that they did it. Fair enough. <laughs> so my quote is just one of the nice little exchanges between Odo and, and Dr. Mora, where we, uh, we address the constable thing again. Constable. It's a nickname that I barely tolerate. It's an expression of affection that you find difficult to accept. Which I like. I never noticed that my first time through that Constable wasn't his title. It was a nickname or something. Yeah. Well, it's it's Cisco sort of being vaguely ironic. Mm -hmm. Like, recognizing that they're sort of in the Old West. Yeah. And just, you know, like, sort of hanging a lantern on that. Well, and Kara invented it, right? I think she did, yeah. Because I think we see her calling him that in the, uh, in the flashbacks. Yeah. So that's interesting, too. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Makes but sense I, why anyway, he kept it, then. Yeah. Well, he, he his likes His good Kira. friend, Kira. Yeah, his good friend, Kira the murderer. Yep. Let's not forget that. Kira killed a guy. That doesn't, doesn't, that doesn't no, seem no, to no, bother no, no. me as much. Kira killed many guys. Well, okay. Well, that's, but this episode was about Kira killing a guy. Kira's not in Starfleet, though. Well, that's We're true. from Starfleet, Al. We don't lie. <laughs> and we don't kill people. Except that that one guy did. Remember well, when Wesley and, and killed that guy? Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> we'll never forget that. All right. That is all for this week. Next week, uh, I believe, is the first occurrence of O'Brien Must Suffer. Yep. So look forward to that. Mm -hmm. Our pal Brian will be joining us for that. Until then. The balcony is ours. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.